Hello, my friends. Big show today. We're going to talk to Sheila Gunn-Reed about Tamara Leach's bail hearing in Ottawa today. She covered the whole thing live for seven hours. And I'm going to talk to you about self-driving cars. Sounds pretty cool, right? But who can turn those on or off? Can the government? What if you're going someplace they don't want you to go? Like, oh, I don't know, a trucker convoy. I'll get into that in the show ahead. But first, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of the podcast. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe, eight bucks a month. Every time I say that, I can't believe it. Like it should be 10 bucks a month or 12 or 16, right? That's what Netflix is. But for eight bucks a month, you get my nightly show plus four weekly shows we do here. That's 36 shows a month for eight smackers. And we need that money because we don't take any money from Trudeau, which is one of the reasons we can be so independent. Please go to rebelnewsplus.com and click subscribe. Here's today's show. Tonight, how do you feel about the government being able to slow down or even stop your car by remote? It's July 5th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you sensorious bug. can't find a clip of it on YouTube, but I seem to remember an episode from that old TV series, The Sopranos, where Tony Soprano, the mafia boss, rips out the GPS from a new SUV he bought. This was years ago when those things were not common. They were a luxury option in high-end vehicles. Tony was physically ripping it out of his car. It was quite a fun scene. Partly because he was paranoid, but partly because he had reasons to be paranoid. The FBI were surveilling him all the time, tracking him. That's why he used phone booths and had in-person meetings. He correctly knew that we were moving towards a surveillance state where your location is known at all times. It would be interesting to see how Tony Soprano would cope with the invasive technology of 2022. I mean, GPS tracking your movements, of course, but the level of total perpetual surveillance is here and it's Google and Amazon and Apple and Facebook. And yeah, the FBI comes along for the ride too. I mean, seriously, look at this. This is from Brendan Carr, an FCC commissioner in the United States that stands for Federal Communications Commission. These are the folks in charge of telecommunications and big tech. So here's his tweet. Today, a TikTok exec said it was simply false. For me to say that they collect face prints, browsing history, and keystroke patterns. Except I was quoting directly from TikTok's own disclosures. TikTok's concerning pattern of misrepresentations about U.S. user data continues. Not sure if you can see the images he's showing on his tweet there, but it is disclosure from TikTok that they don't just track everything you record in that video app and everything you watch. They actually are recording you, your face print. That's funny. I thought that was like a secret password to open your phone. Well, TikTok's recording that. They're recording your voice print, even your keystroke patterns and rhythms. What's that? This is what they admit to doing. They're listening to you. They're watching your face. I don't think Tony Soprano would have gone for that, do you? (laughs) Um, And that doesn't even touch on the obvious stuff, Chinese staff of TikTok, where TikTok is based, 
They positively spy on users. The same thing happened with uh, Twitter, of course. Now, Tony Soprano had reasons to be afraid. He was a criminal mastermind, but you don't have to be a criminal to worry about your privacy. Some things aren't criminal or even unethical. They're just private and personal, not meant to be shared with the world or with companies who would want to know things about you so they could sell things to you, or worse, politicians and governments who want to know things about you to punish you or censor you or control you. And that's my real fear. It's why I hate the apps we're being literally forced to use during the pandemic. There's an app that Trudeau requires you to use to come back to Canada if you leave. Now, I don't even think that's constitutional. As a citizen, you have the right to come back. I've never used this app. It's called ArriveCan because I haven't been allowed to go to the United States um, in years. But everyone who does legally must use this ArriveCan app or face a fine of up to $5,000 just for coming back to your own country. If you don't download this app and log in and use it, $5,000 fine for not positively doing this stupid thing Trudeau tells you to do. Now, the app, I'm told, is pretty useless. And uh, it's one of the reasons the airports are so bogged down. Here's the story from a few months ago. ArriveCan app troubles causing consternation at border. Yeah, it's gotten worse. People hate the app. It's unnecessary, of course. But it's not that the app is actually useful to the government for any functionality. And so the app gets you conditioned and trained on pain of a huge, in my mind, illegal fine and gets you used to being surveilled and scanned and your privacy given up. Here's the World Economic Forum's Yuval Noah Harari on that and how COVID was just the excuse for total surveillance. COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. If we want to stop this epidemic, we need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. The app is tracking you. It's why I fear not regular cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, but the proposed government response to crypto, which is central bank digital currencies made by governments. Because the government will then be able to track your money in real time, who you spend it on. They could theoretically turn off your money, seize your money. Forget about seizing bank accounts. They would just make your money vaporized. That's the government response to crypto. But what about self-driving cars? They scare me, I won't lie. But they're becoming more and more popular. They're on the streets right now. But if a central computer system can control your car, can steer it, can slow it down or speed it up, can slam on the brakes, they can do that for traffic reasons, and those are good reasons. Why can't they do that for any reason? For political reasons. For stopping you from driving somewhere they don't like. Sure, if you're a car thief, a good idea to stop a guy like that. But what if you're doing something, going somewhere they just don't want you to go? Just to make up an example, what if you were going to a Trump rally? Hmm. What if your high-tech car won't drive you to a Trump rally or won't let you go to a bar? Won't let you go anywhere at all during a lockdown? The car will not drive. What a terrible future that could be, except it's, it's here. And you don't need an American example. How about shutting down a thousand trucks during a convoy? Look at this, though. This is from the European Transport Safety Council today. Who are they? They are funded by the European Union government. 
It's the European Union's policy group. And uh, it's where they make the recommendations about things like self-driving cars. Look at their news story today. So today is July 5th, as I talked to you. And their headline is about their excitement for tomorrow, July 6th, 2022. Vehicle safety in Europe takes a giant leap forward. Well, I'm excited about vehicle safety as anybody. But I'm not sure if that's the main thing they're actually doing tomorrow. New models of car, van, lorry, and bus launched on to the EU EEA market from tomorrow, July 6th, must be fitted as standard with an array of new vehicle safety technologies. The European Transport Safety Council welcomes this milestone, but says standards for two of the new technologies are too weak and need to be urgently reviewed. Oh, really? Um, what do you mean? In particular, ETSC says that the minimum standards for Intelligent Speed Assistance, ISA, could lead to manufacturers building cars with an ISA system that has limited safety benefits and annoys drivers. That is because the minimum legal specification allows for a warning-only system that features an annoying audible beep, potentially combined with inaccurate speed information due to systems that use only a camera-based sign recognition system with no backup in the form of a digital map of speed limit locations. So you know when in, in many cars, when you don't put on your seatbelt belts, it makes a beep, beep, annoying sound until you do, that's nagging, that's nudging. But I suppose you could just ignore it, right? Well, they're deploying that same annoyance to how you drive now, including how fast you go. I love how they call that speed assistance. We're, we're, just, we're just assisting you. I'll read from another one of their articles. Uh, this is from the same European Union um, traffic group. Can you see the image there, actually? Here's a bigger version of it. Um, the car tracks your speed. It, quote, helps you not speed when you've reached the speed limit. Uh, but it claims, and this is what really irritates these bureaucrats, that you can override those annoying beeps if you like. And that's the part that the EU is complaining about. They don't want you to be able to override your car's beep, beep, beep when it thinks you're going too fast. Here's what the EU's car police say. ISA, as it was originally envisaged, is a fantastic life-saving system. Using sign-reading cameras and digital maps of speed limit data, the car can cut engine torque automatically to keep the vehicle within the current speed limit. Speed is such an important factor in road deaths that this technology alone, if it were fitted to all cars on the road in this form, could cut deaths by 20%. Now, I want to show you a video from Ford seven years ago. So this is before self-driving cars were even really a thing. Take a look. Drivers have never needed to be more attentive to avoid speeding. So, beginning with the all-new Ford S-Max, Ford has introduced Intelligent Speed Limiter. Drivers can choose to activate Intelligent Speed Limiter using the steering wheel controls. Intelligent Speed Limiter enables drivers to manually set a maximum vehicle speed. The maximum speed is then automatically adjusted according to information from the traffic sign recognition system that reads road signs and overtaking restrictions and displays them in the instrument cluster. Cars with onboard navigation can also use map data to support the system on long country roads where there may be fewer traffic signs. The system smoothly controls speed using engine torque by electronically adjusting the amount of fuel delivered, rather than applying the brakes. Automatic self-driving cars were not a thing back then. 
Now they're being mainstreamed. It won't really be voluntary soon, now will it? Now, why would you ever want to speed? I can think of some reasons. An emergency? To get to the hospital? Or I don't know, maybe because other cars are driving at a certain speed and to go too slow, to go slower than them, would actually be dangerous. Has that ever happened to you? Or you're on the highway and there's an obstacle and you have to speed up to get around something just for a moment to avoid a hazard on the road. There's countless possible reasons why in the moment you would actually need to speed to be safe. But imagine that being controlled by someone else or some other high-tech system. But I'm not just worried about practical driving matters, like avoiding an accident or rushing somewhere in an emergency. I'm worried about politics because it's what I think about. Do you think the Chinese government is collecting voice prints and face prints of millions of users just for commercial reasons? No, of course not. I mean, I, yes, it is for commercial reasons, yes. But it's also for spying reasons, for, for blackmail reasons even. Do you think a government that would seize your bank account if you dared to go to a peaceful trucker convoy that invoked a form of martial law because few trucks were honking their horns, do you doubt that such authoritarians would simply turn off cars and trucks of everyone in the convoy, including the thousands who drove across and around Canada. They put Tamara Leach in prison for taking a selfie with a trucker. Do you doubt such people would have turned off her vehicle when she left Medicine Hat? Yeah, you know, I'm with Tony Soprano on this one. He was a criminal, that's for sure. But I'm more scared of Trudeau than I am of any mafia man. Stay with us for more. Hey, I want to let you know something. A few weeks ago, I was at a crime scene, and I was a witness to a crime. I'm not exaggerating. It was the annual Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom Gala Dinner for Freedom. It's named after the late columnist George Jonas, who really wrote about freedom a lot. And I've loved going to these things. I love the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. They do civil liberties work. Um, just outstanding. John Carpe's their boss. He's been on our show a dozen times. Um, I like going to show support for them. And I was excited that um, Tamara Leach, the trucker grandma organizer lady, was there as the recipient of the Freedom Award. And she's also a client of the Justice Center. I had actually never met Tamara Leach before, so I posed with her for a selfie that I use as my little, uh, you know, avatar, as it's called on social media. Uh, other people, and I want to tell you, it was very busy, and I'm almost to my point here. Rex Murphy spoke. It was very exciting. And it was a thrill to be in a room with, I don't know, four or 500 freedom-loving people to celebrate freedom instead of all the heckling and the nagging we get from authoritarians. But my point is, I saw Tamara Leach. She was the honoree of the night. And she was just beset by well-wishers posing for a photo or, or a selfie, although it wasn't really a selfie because other took, others took the photo. Now, you know what that's like, right? If you've been to any public event where there's sort of a star, people say, can I get a photo? Yes. They pose. They take everyone, sort of freezes their mouth. They're not talking during the photo, right? That's an important point. They're not talking 
they maybe say cheese, but they're not talking, or they just smile and they're ready, click. So that's what it was like for Tamara Leach pretty much the whole night where she wasn't eating at her table or giving her uh, awards or reception speech on the stage. I know that because I was there. I know that because I sat two tables away from her. And I know that because I personally asked for a selfie with her and I got it. Now, I tell you all of this not to brag that I met Tamara Leach, although there's a tiny bit of that there. But what I've just described, the fact that she took a selfie with another trucker organizer named Tom Marazzo, was the thin pretext for the Ottawa police to order a national warrant out for Tamara Leach's arrest. I'm serious. The kind of thing that normally you do if there was a, a murderer on the loose or an escape, escaped prisoner. And police waited, though. They waited. They knew she took this photo on June 16th. It was posted almost immediately. But they waited, 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 waited. And then they put out the warrant and had her arrested just before the July 1st weekend when there was another Freedom Convoy in Ottawa. And it has been nine days since she was imprisoned on the crime of taking a selfie. And she had a bail hearing on that today in Ottawa. And our chief reporter and friend, Sheila Gunn-Reed, covered the hearing by video link. She joins us now to talk about it. Sheila, great to see you. I know you spent the whole day covering this bail hearing. Bail hearings, I can assure you, are not usually an all-day affair. Tell me how it was. Well, you know, I think you covered a lot of the nuts and bolts of why this is happening. Um, Tamara Leach was arrested nine days ago for breach of a non-communication condition of her release conditions from earlier, so way back in March, for taking that picture with an, a fellow convoy organizer, Tom Marazzo. But she never actually really communicated with Tom Marazzo, and that's what's prohibited in her bail conditions. Um, she just took a photo with him, and one of the stipulations of her bail conditions are that... If she is in and around other convoy organizers communicating with them, that it happens in the presence of her lawyers. Well, guess who her lawyers are? Mm -hmm. The Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. The room was teeming with Tamara's lawyers. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting today because the homicide detective assigned to Tamara's case, a 22-year veteran of the force in Ottawa, Chris Benson, um, if you are murdered in Ottawa, I can't imagine that your case will ever be solved because this guy didn't know who John Carpe was. He had no idea. He was asked on the stand, who's that guy? I don't know who he is. It was John Carpe, the head of the Justice Center. Then he was asked, who is John Carpe? I don't know who that is. Um, so he, this police detective, he said, Tamara took a photo with this man and this photo constitutes a breach of her conditions, but he didn't know who her lawyers were at all. He had no idea. So how can he breach her on a condition that says you can be with this guy if you're in the presence of your lawyer when he had no idea who her lawyer was? Worse still, they extended this Canada-wide, nationwide warrant to pick her up on a non-communication breach, something Detective Benson testified that he had never done before. But it sounds like they sent two detectives, a supervisor, and another cop 
all the way from Ottawa out to Alberta to Medicine Hat to grab Tamara. They're treating her like she is public enemy number one instead of a cute little Métis grandma who embarrassed Justin Trudeau on an international scale. And that's really her crime here. Did you say they sent three cops to bring her in? Is that what you said? Yeah, I think actually it might have been four, but definitely two homicide detectives and a supervisor. So that's from Ottawa. And of course, the Medicine Hat police couldn't be happier to comply with Trudeau. They're excited. Maybe they'll get promoted or something. So you had three or maybe four cops from Ottawa fly all the way out to Medicine Hat. And then you had the Medicine Hat cops on this. So this is like a major vice squad. This is like the major drug cartel squad, the anti you know, mob squad. This is a major policing effort. I don't know if there was at the same time a larger police effort in the country. Um, and of course, they took the, the homicide cop because that's the level of gravity here. Someone taking a selfie. I, um, I want to know how it went. I followed your live tweets on the subject. You were watching this thing and tweeting along. And it, it sounded like the judge was not sympathetic. No, um, this is a completely different judge than the one who reduced her bail conditions, which allowed her to go to the George Jonas Freedom Award banquet. That judge uh, made remarks about, you know, thought policing and that, you know, we're here to police behavior, but not thoughts. When um, the Crown was asking for very specific restrictions in Tamara's bail conditions. This one is quite different. Um, if I had to guess, I would say on about a 60% chance that he would probably let her out of jail on Friday when we will get um, his judgment. But he was allowing the Crown to ask questions I thought had absolutely no relevance in this case. For example, asking Detective Benson, who should be solving the 20-plus unsolved homicides in Ottawa, whether or not the convoy protests from February had any impact on the feeling of Canada Day. Feeling. What has that got to do with the anything? Feeling. How do you measure a feeling? Was it a, a four on the feeling scale or was it a seven on the feeling scale? Well, uh, and what has that got to do with Tamara, who has been in jail since the 27th? She is not accused of organizing any yeah. protesting on Canada Day. She wasn't even free on Canada Day. Yeah. But this, the Benson said, oh, you know, like there were fewer families out there on Canada Day. And, you know, the ceremonies were a little more subdued on Canada Day. Well, that might have something to do with the Ottawa police scaring the daylights out of people for 10 days in advance. Um, and just and blockading Trudeau, it and blockading exactly. the whole thing and seizing flags. You know, to ask maybe a policeman. They were there, maybe they were there protesting the fact that a little lady is a political prisoner. That can really throw a pall over your celebrations, don't you think? Yeah, and I wonder if that cop even went to the Hill to observe or if he was just regurgitating what the CBC media told him. What a disgraceful question by a disgraceful prosecutor. It's a disgrace that the judge allowed it, and it's a disgrace that the cop answered it, as if the cop has any expertise in feelings. But on looking at it another way, it's a perfect question, because we all know this isn't about actually solving crimes. This, exactly. We all know this wasn't actually about breaking the law. We all know we are far outside the norms for bail. I've never in my life heard of anyone being imprisoned and not granted bail for, quote, breach of, sorry, in inciting malice, or, or mischief, not malice, inciting mischief. No one's being charged with mischief, but this little grandma is being charged with inciting mischief that no one else has been charged with, so that's sort of weird. Um, no bail, nine days this time around, plus however many days the last time around. I, um, I remember my very first day as a law student in criminal docket court. 
and uh, someone who received a sentence for sexual assault. I think it was a 30-day sentence he received um, for sexual assault. And um, that's what this little granny has now served almost, almost coming up on yeah. 30 days for for having the wrong attitude. So in that way, that, that's what, so the feelings question, the attitude question is highly appropriate because she's a political prisoner and it's all about feelings. Remember, this is the same Ottawa police force that put out a tweet a few days ago saying, we're closing replies because this should be a safe place because they were threatening people on Twitter. People were clapping back and they were censoring people. The Ottawa police force is no longer a credible, uh, objective, safe police force. They are political, they are woke, they are censorious, they are coloring outside the lines of their regular authority. And it is no surprise to me that they put arresting this this grandma ahead of actually solving crimes. What a disgrace. Well, and, you know, to put this into some larger context, in Winnipeg, an, an Antifa member completely weaponized by liberal and police rhetoric that convoy protesters were white supremacists, violent Nazis. These are people who go through their life saying, uh, that I'm going to punch a Nazi, and then when the TV tells him the Nazis are in town, what do you think they're going to do? He took his Jeep, drove into a convoy protest, hit four of them through his own ineptitude. He didn't kill them. He just injured them. He was out on bail the very next day, the very next day. And yet Tamara, she's held in jail for nine days this time for non breach of a non-communication condition, which is completely unheard of. And you have to remember, they tried to breach her on conditions for simply accepting this yeah. award. Yeah. They were trying to get her. They didn't want her to attend this award ceremony. They tried to breach her before. Now they're just breaching her after the fact. They're trying to teach her a lesson. And what a disgrace that she had to wait nine days to get before a judge. What was the reason for keeping her in prison for nine days? before getting her before the judge. My understanding is that uh, uh, normally you have the right to be before a judge in 48 hours or less. Um, again, just absolute uh, politicization and corruption of our legal system um, out of control. Um, I mentioned in my opening remarks what the photo looked like and what photos are like. And every person watching this show has taken photos before. You pause, you stay as still as you can, and you don't talk. So he, she she and the person she was allegedly communicating with were both in the photo, smiling, not talking. But, it, but again, that's a perfect Stalinist crime. You were photographed with another enemy of the state. Um, was there any other, other, I guess you were watching by video. Could you detect if there were other media covering this? I bet there were, because they hate Tamara Leach. They want her in jail. So it's not like they would just ignore this. They hate her. What was the coverage like? Have you seen any other coverage from the media party? You know, I, it's very difficult to start looking at everybody else's coverage while right. you're trying to, right. to cover enough. it in the corner yeah. of your uh, ear. But um, I know that our uh, reporter, William Diaz, was in the courtroom. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then uh, from what I understand, there were six other journalists in the courtroom, okay. you know, probably mainstream media journalists who need their bloodlust satiated mm -hmm. and then there were probably another dozen or so on the the live stream yeah. through zoom but i know the judge said there were seven reporters in the courtroom mm -hmm. and of course one of them was our william so we okay. had two right well i'm glad he was there and hopefully 
you know, a couple of independent journalists were there, whether it was Rupa Subramania, who's based in Ottawa, or I know the Epoch Times is an Ottawa reporter. So, um, you know, I'm glad this is getting coverage. It'll be fascinating to see. Uh, if you have trouble wondering what the left would do with this, I mean, imagine if a Black Lives Matter or I don't know more or if, oh, I don't know, Stephen Gilbo, the um, cabinet minister who was a Greenpeace uh, criminal who broke into the CN Tower or broke out of it and had a whole stunt. He was convicted. I don't think he did a day's time in prison. And imagine if you held an environmental protester for nine days. Plus, I think she was in prison for 13 days beforehand. Yep. So 22 days in prison. She hasn't had a trial yet. She hasn't been convicted of anything yet. Taking a photo with someone else who's on the enemies list. Imagine what the media party would say if any, if David Suzuki, David Suzuki, who willingly goes to commit crimes, you know, um, to, to be in illegal protests, blocking things, sabotaging forestry or or oil sand sites. He goes and deliberately breaks the law. Imagine if he were in jail for even one night, let alone 22 nights. The, the whole establishment would go nuts. We don't have to imagine this, Ezra. We have David Suzuki saying, you know, maybe pipelines are going to blow up. And then a short time after, you know, there's that whole work site of Coastal Gas Link that is absolutely trashed by um, radical environmentalists. And nobody ever accused David Suzuki of inciting violence and vandalism, let alone mischief. But Tamara Leach, because she said, hold the line. Yeah. She's in jail. Yeah. Well, I, I really think that Canada has a civil rights problem. I don't think any of the normal checks and balances in our entire democracy are working. The media is um, in cahoots with Trudeau because he pays them off. And they're ideologically sympathetic to him and opposed to the truckers anyways. Um, <laughs> I saw this bizarre uh, Dear Diary series of tweets from a CBC reporter today who, who despises Tamara Leach. Uh, who, who, as you mentioned, is a Métis grandma, but he denounces himself as a white man. It's the most bizarre thing to think that such woke, corrupted journalists at the CBC and elsewhere would hold Trudeau and his abusiveness to account as a joke. I'm worried about your live tweets about what this judge looks like. The police are disreputable. Never obey an Ottawa police officer without challenging them because they're clearly out of control. I'm not counseling lawlessness. I'm saying challenge them because they're clearly out of control. And yeah, but and I, all, all those ahead. things you're describing right there, sorry to interrupt you, but all those things that you're describing right there is why the convoy happened. Yeah. The courts failed, the judges failed, the bureaucracy failed, academia failed, the police failed, our churches failed, civil society failed. And so it was to the truckers and their supporters yeah. Yeah. who stood up. And that's yeah. why they went to Ottawa. Yeah. All the problems you're describing, yeah. they failed. So the truckers did something. Yeah. Well, I sure I'm glad that you covered that. I would recommend to people to on our website and on Sheila's Twitter feed, you can go and get the moment by moment live tweeting of the trial. I read it uh, very informative and frankly, a little bit uh, worrying. Sheila, thanks for championing that case. And you do a lot of these court reports. There were other reporters there today, but I know in the past, for example, you were literally the only journalist covering the persecution yep. of uh, churches that are being uh, shut down. And, and Jason Kenney, even though he's been sacked as the leader of the United Conservative Party, he's still the premier and he's still prosecuting and persecuting them. 
Uh, thanks for doing your great work, Sheila. And um, you say the results of this bail hearing should be released on Friday. Is that what you said? On Friday, yes. Friday at 1.30 Eastern Again, time. Uh, absolutely gross. Uh, the judge has all the facts. He can issue a verbal ruling tonight. Sure. Or tomorrow. Why doesn't he stay up late and work through the night and issue a verbal ruling tomorrow? And then say written reasons, detailed written reasons to come later. That's what you do when you're in a hurry. I don't know if you remember when we went to court in a real hurry, when we were banned, when Rebel News reporters were banned from the leadership debates uh, in the federal election, in both cases, the judges said, I have to give an immediate ruling because this is so urgent. Here's my immediate ruling, reasons to come later. And frankly, those judges took months because, you know, there was no more urgency once they let us in. Imagine being such a lazy bones. It's Tuesday. I need Tuesday night and Wednesday, Wednesday night and Thursday, Thursday night and Friday. I'll make my announcement because, you know, I got other things to do. And that yeah. woman can soak in jail for another Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, another. So she'll be at 25 days pre-custody because I'm a busy judge. <laughs> I'm busy. I'm an important person. And this woman can rot in jail for three more days because I'm so important she can wait. It's a disgrace. Sheila, thanks for your time. Keep up the beat. Keep up uh, following this. We got to do it. I will. All right. There you have it. Sheila Gunn-Reed, our favorite person, chief reporter. Stay with us. Your letters to me are next. Welcome back. Your letters. Peculiar Lou says, Ezra's right. Police only know force. So use the force you have to push back. No violence because they dominate that. But stop complying or just be nice Canadians and keep watching arbitrary rules made up to hold you down, i.e. Tamara Leach. Yeah, well, let me just reiterate something. And when I said earlier, challenge the Ottawa police, I don't mean challenge them physically. You challenge a cop, you'll, you'll be killed. If you go too far, you'll be injured for sure. They have violent force. They're physically violent. They have guns. And if you overwhelm one, they'll call for backup. Do not be physical with police. Challenge them. Challenge them to show you the law they're acting under. If they ask you questions, challenge them on what authority they ask you or tell them to go to get a search warrant. Don't volunteer things. The Ottawa police have lost the benefit of the doubt. Their police chief is the most corrupt police chief in the country who is doing clearly abusive things, including this absurd and political arrest of Tamara Leach. I mean, I keep reading stories about how Vladimir Putin is arresting his critics in Moscow. And I think, yeah, boy, glad we don't have that round here. Now let's cover the Tamara Leach story. Yes, uh, yes, Trotamundo says, we don't want to be seen as defying the law directly. They weren't breaking the law, I agree. They should have just recorded everything and said, go ahead, Write the ticket for the law you just invented. I'll see you in court. I know the law. I'm a lawyer. And the cop would have had one of two choices, back down or double down and lose. You're talking about when our friends at the Democracy Fund, um, Mark and Adam, were there and the cops said, move your sign. You can have it on your feet, but not on the ground. You can move it, but not have it. Like, just they were making it up. They were just <laughs> making it up. And I, you know, I didn't want to challenge. I mean, Mark Joseph has the right answer, a lawyer is technically an officer of the court. 
and you're under certain, certain rules for how you have to conduct yourself. But when the police make up rules to punish civil liberties lawyers, I think, I don't know. I mean, I, listen, I wasn't there. I wasn't there, and here I am Monday morning quarterback. But I know what I would have done. I would have said, well, it looks like you're going to have to arrest a civil liberties lawyer. Uh, I hope you get a big raise for that because uh, it's going to color your career for the rest of your life. And we're going to spend some time together in court. So if you really think that a sign saying strengthening democracy, where we give out legal advice, it doesn't block anything, doesn't block any path. If you really think that that's against the law, let's have a judge correct you on that. Although, for all I know, you'd go in front of one of these Trudeau judges who'd say, no, that's criminal behavior. Uh, just don't take any selfies with anyone. I really think we're in danger here. The rule of law is being worn out. Um, I think one of the jobs of the government is to protect our freedoms. But I think maybe that's a foolish thought because I think government is the worst threat to our freedoms. Well, that's our show for today. Very uh, troubling times. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom. Public inquiries proceedings for June 30th just ended, and we have just come out of the Halifax Convention Center where they have been held. Today was a jam-packed full day. The primary focus was on policing in rural communities as well as firearms and how they are used in those communities. A roundtable discussion was had, much like the coverage we had on the last proceedings that took place here. They had experts in the field of psychology. They had researchers as well come together to try to find and learn from what happened so that Canada can better manage situations that cause mass trauma, like Canada's deadliest mass shooting. We also had a chance to speak with lawyer Michael Scott again. He is the attorney for many of the family to the victims. Last time we talked to him in a report you can see below, he raised concerns about the allegations of political interference, in particular the fact that notes that had those allegations from Superintendent Darren Campbell were withheld by the Department of Justice. But today he raised another concern. The commission has released their list of upcoming witnesses over the months of July and August. RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky, who is at the heart of the scandal, will in fact be testifying this summer during the commission, as well as Superintendent Darren Campbell, whose notes detailed the allegations against her. And on that list is Wartman's former common law partner, Lisa Banfield. But here's the thing, Scott is raising concerns about this because he is not directly able to question Ms. Banfield when she comes. There, there are a few principles more uh, fundamental to our, our understanding of procedural fairness and justice um, than, you know, we, we ask the questions, provided they're relevant and, and, and honest. But I, I've certainly never seen anything like, like this. And uh, not only do we have to ensure that justice is done, but it has to be seen to be done. Um, and, you know, when we start blocking participants from, from being involved in a meaningful way, uh, it really undermines the, the perception that... Uh, Processes. Of course, we reached out to the commission to better understand why this is the case. And this is a summary of what they said to me in a statement. And you can find that by clicking on the link in the description to this report. The commission's statement included the following. 
Given Ms. Banfield's situation as a survivor of the perpetrator's violence and in light of the quality and quantity of information she has already provided to the Commission through five detailed interviews, the Commission believes it is in public interest that all questions asked of Ms. Banfield from participants be asked by Commission counsel. Legal counsel for all participants have the opportunity to provide questions to Commission counsel prior to her testimony. Participant counsel will then have additional opportunities to provide further questions to Commission. They added that it's important to remember that a public inquiry is not a trial, nor is it about assigning blame. Public inquiries are about change. You can find the full statement at the written report, which is linked in the description box below. So that is the commission side of things, but Scott also had something to say about the fact that Ms. Bamfield was in fact abused by Wartman, but why he still should be able to question her. But we're certainly very concerned that in, in the rush to fulfill the, the commission's mandate to address issues of intimate partner violence, um, that we're going to miss the fact that Ms. Banfield is, is the most important witness uh, to the events of, of April 18th and 19th. Um, she, no one knows the perpetrator better than she does, and nobody has more information about the events leading up to uh, the mass casualty. Now, I gotta tell you, as Lincoln behind the camera and myself are walking around, asking questions in the community, learning what's going on in the commission, reading lots of stuff, it's starting to look like everybody is just pointing fingers at everybody. It's the RCMP's fault, it's the commission's fault, it's the government's fault. But something interesting somebody inside told me who prefers to remain unmaimed is that if Wartman was still alive, the focus would be on him and the trial and he would be to blame. I thought that was just an interesting perspective there as well. Now, what's the latest on the Trudeau RCMP scandal connected to this mass shooting? Well, in my last report, I mentioned that another attorney named Jamie Van Wart requested that six documents tied to the April 28th, 2020 meeting with Commissioner Brenda Lucky and other senior management in the RCMP be made public. That included emails as well as a letter. Those documents have in fact been made public on the Mass Casualty Commission's website. I want to read some of the letter to you. It is insane. It is a letter from a second RCMP member, this time the former director of communications, Leah Scanlon, and she is basically basically respectfully scolding Commissioner Lucky for how she treated these police who were trying to do their best in dealing with this mass shooting. You got to hear some of this letter, but again, I will link the full thing in the report. The letter starts off by praising Superintendent Darren Campbell, saying that he completed a lengthy press conference to provide information to the public while protecting the integrity of the ongoing investigation. She says Darren was exceptional, the best she's ever seen do this before. He achieved exactly what we set out to accomplish and did so with poise, class, compassion and courage, adding that Darren restored a sense of pride within our membership and represented the force in a manner that we should hold as the standard. She says shortly after the press release, she was summoned on behalf of Commissioner Brenda Lucky to have a meeting immediately. She suspected that it may have to do with the guns, given that she was asked if Darren could speak about the guns less than two hours before the press conference was scheduled to take place. 
adding that from an investigational standpoint, those details could not be discussed publicly. She says she had indicated in an email that the caliber of the guns would not be included in Darren's remark and that it was important for her to point out that in the division they had made a commitment that guided all of their public releases of information and that commitment was to the families of the victims that prior to any public release they would ensure that the families were informed first to prevent them from being re-victimized by hearing new information in the media. Scanlon then accuses Lucky of personally attacking her and the work that they had done. Says that Lucky said that she perceived their actions as a blatant sign of disrespect adding that Lucky said they had let the boys down, referring to the two young boys whose parents were brutally murdered from the mad gunman. Scanlon adds that Lucky had informed them of the pressures and conversations she had had with then Minister Bill Blair, and that they then clearly understood this was related to the upcoming passing of the gun legislation. Can you believe that? What kind of twisted and sick mind is it if Commissioner Brenda Lucky used those two boys who had just sat there for hours after their parents had been murdered by Wartman as a tool to try to manipulate and shame these RCMP members into doing her bidding to further the Liberal government's gun ban agenda on legal firearm owners, which Wartman was not. And special thank you to everybody who's come together to help us be able to do these reports. You guys have been donating at firelucky.com so that we could afford the economy flights to be here, the affordable accommodation, the meals on the go, and the transportation. Thank you so much. I can't stress that enough because independent media needs to be all over this story. Not that we're profiting, but that we are covering our expenses so we're able to bring you important news just like this. I'm Drea Humphrey, and this is Rebel News.